Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode six of our summer series. So here we are. We've arrived at our last episode of the summer series. We've really enjoyed creating it for you, and hopefully you'll feel like we saved the best for last. Today we're going to talk about arm balances and inversions. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, Jason's got a new course launching on Yoga Glow around this very topic, and you can find that course at teachertraining.yogaglow.com slash courses. And I will also put a link to it on the show notes page. So today, Jason mostly focuses on how he unpacks these poses and puts them into categories in order to teach them systematically and skillfully. We also talk about our favorite and personal favorite and least favorite arm balances and inversions. So that's going to be my yoga land stories question this week. So if you want to participate, tell me this story on Instagram. Tell me what is your favorite and least favorite arm balance and inversion. You don't have to do all of them. If you, if you don't want to do four poses, you can just do your favorite and least favorite in one of the groupings and tell me why. And then when you post your story, use the hashtag Yogaland Stories so that we can find each other and you can read other people's stories, which is always really fun and uplifting, I find. And then at the end of the week, I will pick someone's story and post it on Jason's and my feed. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show as well. Keep tuning in. You can also subscribe on iTunes so that you get all of the new episodes as soon as they come out. I've got some really, really great episodes coming up with Jason Niemer, Desiree Rumbaugh, and Jessica Berger-Gross, who's come out with a beautiful, moving memoir that's been reviewed in both Glamour and Elle already. Hey, Jason. Hey, Andrea. Thanks for having me on the program. You are always welcome. You know, this is our last summer series episode. It is. And we saved something really exciting for last. We did. And that is, we're going to talk about your new online course. And just the phenomenon of teaching arm balances and inversions with more skill and more safety and more, more strategy. You sort of answered my first, what my first question was going to be. Good. Well, go for your first question. Why did you decide? to create this course and tell people what it's about? Okay, so two reasons. Uh, There's lots of reasons. But the two main reasons are, one, I have been practicing and teaching arm balances and inversions for two decades now. And I love the poses. I always have. I really have. For me as a yoga practitioner coming from more of an athletic background, when I came to this discipline, I was really tight and insecure about that tightness. But I could do certain arm bounces pretty well, and I wasn't afraid. Like, there's a lot of things in my life, as you know, as my wife, that I have fear around. But I don't really have fear around injury. You know, I don't have fear around physical injury. So I was always comfortable trying handstand, trying headstand, trying forearm balance, trying various arm balances. I just didn't have fear. I totally am empathetic, and I understand why people do have fear around certain poses, but I just didn't have it. And then also... Many of these poses were relatively accessible to me, whereas even simple forward bends and twists and back bends weren't very accessible to me. They've been postures that I've been a fan of for a long time. The second thing that came up for me in a really big way is 
the popularity of all of these poses, especially handstand, especially a handful of arm balances that are contained in the training, they have become so popular because of their prevalence in social media. And when I step back and I look at social media, I see that social media is really good at inspiring. And, and that's really valuable. You know, it's really valuable. But the nature of social media has pretty limited educational value. I agree. I guess the point I'm saying is that I'm not in any way dismissing the medium, but different mediums do different things differently. And social media is really good at inspiring. But for me, I wanted to create something that went deeper into the education and not just the thing. Here's the thing. I wanted to create a program that wasn't just about doing these poses, but actually teaching them in a really strategic and consistent way. And so I know that for me, you know, as I've traveled around for a long period of time, the arm balance and inversions workshops that I've been doing, you know, for 15 years, they do really well, they sell out really quickly. And so I wanted to create this program where I could bring the very systematic way that I teach these postures, not just to practitioners, but also to teachers who want to be able to share them with their students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's stick with students for just a moment. Sure. What are some common things that students are challenged by with these poses? Well, I think the first thing that comes up for me is handstand. Okay. And I think that the first thing about handstand that comes up for me is everyone doesn't just want to do handstand. Everyone wants to balance in handstand. And one of the things that happens, especially in social media, is certain people are able to make postures look way easier than they are. And if you constantly see these beautiful hand balances, these beautiful handstands and all this press into handstand work, and you constantly see it, it starts to seem like it's going to be easier than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And so people have, I think, unrealistic expectations with the timeline of learning inversions. Mm -hmm. The timeline. A lot of people don't want to learn at the wall anymore. People don't want to learn with partners anymore. They want to like right off the bat, learn how to balance and handstand. And you guys, it's laughable. You know what I mean? Like you have to be strong. You have to be flexible. But even more than that, you have to be oriented mm -hmm. upside down mm -hmm. and you have to understand the anatomy and the technique and how balancing on the feet is different than balancing on the hands. You know, people just think, oh, if I engage my core and work hard, I'm going to balance. And it's, it's not true. Balancing comes from finding the center of movement, right? So in order to balance, you have to know how to work your body in a dynamic and responsive way. Mm -hmm. So to be sensitive enough to respond to motion is what allows you to balance, not just by working hard. That's the first thing is the first thing that people struggle with is the expectation for the timeline in balancing and handstand. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention that when you focus solely on balancing, it's a little bit like missing the forest for the trees because- Handstand at the wall is just a great warm up. Sure. It's a great warm up for the shoulders. It's a great warm up for back bends. It's a great, you know, like energetic warm up totally. to turn upside down. Like that's sort of for me, that's what that pose is about. It's getting upside down. And this is the long tradition of yoga, right? 
Like I'm a total, I am both a traditionalist and a modernist when it comes to yoga. And we want to be able to see in the modern zeitgeist of yoga, more and more people are interested in balancing on their hands. That's reasonable. But we also want to see this in a historical and a traditional context, which is to say, well, why in a historical and a traditional context were yogis getting upside down? They were getting upside down to accrue greater time upside down for the physiological benefits and for the increased focus, right? Mm -hmm. And this to me is one of the big, the largest benefits of inversions, which is in arm balances and inversions, you're focused. You may or may not be able to do them well, You may or may not have the strength. You may or may not have the range of motion. You may or may not have the technique, but all of those things are trainable. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that when you're working on these poses and when your students are working on these poses, they're not thinking about what they're going to have for dinner later. You know, these are poses that when you work on them, they crystallize our attention in a dramatic way. And that's why I think that there's such a such a big value to them is their quality of focus. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm showing my bias here, but I guess for me, the benefits of t- turning upside down in any of the poses that you mentioned, and then, you know, adding to that Viparita Karani, the benefits to my focus and to the way that I feel physically afterward and to the way that my um, physiologically feel afterward is so much more apparent than when I'm doing arm balances. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, when I do practices that are heavily laced with arm balances, and when I do practices that are heavily laced with inversions, to me, when it comes to Shavasana, I'm going to feel about the same. Oh, interesting. Like both sets of those are pretty focusing. They're pretty grounding. For me, there's always been a quality of relaxation and comfort and nervous system settling that comes from fatiguing and using my upper body completely. Oh, wow. And so for me, whether it's whether it's more inversions or more arm balances, they're so whole body balancing in their degree of effort and attention that to me it all nets out. Interesting. In Shavasana. But if I were to do one handstand or one side plank, without a doubt, after that one handstand, I'm going to have greater focus and grounding. Like one handstand is much more powerful to me mm-hmm. than one, any other arm balance. Yeah. Maybe that's the experience for you. And actually, I mean, now that we're talking about this and we, then we can stop talking about me in a moment, but, um, this is your podcast. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I started the podcast. When I think about it, you are a very, you're, our balances have always come pretty naturally to you and they are kind of most of them. They suit your body type. Mm-hmm. Um, our balances always hurt my wrists, no matter uh, what. Right, They're just right, not right. relaxing for me. It's right. like forward bends for you. Whereas right. everyone says like, oh, forward bends are soothing for the ner- nervous system. Nope. You get so incensed. Yes. You're like, it is not soothing. But that's how I, that's our yes. balances make me, I like them and I, I love practicing them, but I cannot deny the fact that since I was 30 years old, they just, irritate my wrists. So that's probably why I don't I have no I have no wood to knock on. But I want to say this, which is I have, as you know, especially from skateboarding and hockey and and the amount of contact sports I've done in my life, I have hurt most parts of my body many times. My wrists have always been fine. Yeah. Very you know, 
I am, I'm really fortunate. My risks have always been fine. And we do deal a little bit with risks in the program and how to manage them, how to prepare for them. And not just for you as the practitioner, but also for you as the teacher. How do you make sure that you're using the shoulder girdle properly, the elbow joints properly, the hands and the wrists properly, the core and the legs properly, so that you're not overloading one part of the body for you or for your students, which mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you said one challenge that people face is their expectations yeah, of the, the timeline. timeline. Yeah. Anything else come to mind? One of the challenges that both teachers and students face with arm balances and inversions is they don't often know how the different arm balances and the different inversions relate to each other. Okay, because a lot of times what people are stuck in is they're stuck in the individual posture or the individual variation, but they're not always seeing the families or the clusters Hmm. of the poses. So this is something that I did long before the program, and it's something I teach in, in my trainings and workshops, which is to me, all of the arm balances, like literally every single arm balance can be broken down into four categories. And then all of the inversions can be broken down into four categories. So total, every arm balance and every inversion can really easily be grouped into eight different families. And I'll say them just real quick. We have the side plank family of arm balances. We have the bakasana family of arm balances. We have what I call the pick up and lift off family of arm balances. And then we have the hamstring and hip opening arm balances. So essentially what I did, because you know me, like I, I have to have certain thoughts organized or those thoughts are overstimulating to me and, and they can generate anxiety, right? And I love building curriculum and I love helping my students see the relationship between parts. So for me, what I did for a long period of time is I just looked at all arm balances and then I figured out, well, what are the main common denominators? And really what we'll see is there are strong common denominators either in what the shoulder girdle is doing and or what the hip joint is doing. And so, for example, for the bakasana poses, all of the bakasana poses, the shoulder girdle is either in plank or chaturanga. All of the side plank postures, the shoulder girdle is in essentially the shape of warrior two or side plank. There's a ton of poses that are built from side plank. In the pick up and lift off family, all of the poses, the shoulder girdle is in dandasana. You're reaching the hands straight down next to the hips, pushing down, lifting the hips up, right? So in the handstand family, all of the poses in the handstand family, the arms are going overhead. So my point in this is the challenge that teachers and students often make is not seeing how the various postures fit together and form clusters. And so people get busy focusing on learning actions of one pose, Mm, but not seeing how that one pose is related to another pose. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is don't focus on how to do bakasana. That's a waste of your time. Focus on how to do the whole entire bakasana family. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand that 90% of every bakasana pose is the exact same, then focus on learning those common denominators and then the variations are easy. 
Hmm. So learn what does the spine do? What does the shoulder girdle do? What are the scapula? What does the scapula do? What does the hip joint do? And then if you learn that and you see, oh man, in Bakasana, my whole body is doing this. Oh wow. In every Bakasana pose, my whole body is actually doing this. Save this one variable. Oh, my leg goes forward. Oh, my leg goes back. Oh, my spine turns. When people see the grouping of the family instead of the individual pose, then they're training themselves to learn five to 15 poses at a time instead of one. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So to me, this is such a, it's such a huge thing. And, and to me, it stems to one of the bigger challenges in the modern era of yoga, which is the lack of curriculums and the lack of clearly defined learning objectives and the lack of consistent sequences where students are being educated. People are getting really great classes, but a lot of students and, and a lot of teachers, myself, prior to a certain point, not understanding how one class fits to another class, fits to six months of classes, fits to a year of classes. Mm -hmm. But in pretty much every other discipline, they have figured out that you need a curriculum, right? And they've actually figured out like, oh, this is what we teach for a period of time in order to learn this sport or to learn this craft or to learn this trade or to learn this art. I wanted to create this program where people aren't just learning an ad hoc, oh, here's a pose, here's a pose, here's a pose, but learning in a very systematic way, a grouping of poses and then all of the anatomy for that group, all of the sequencing for that group, all of the ways to troubleshoot the common errors of that group and how to verbally instruct that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, as you were saying that I was just thinking, like, I wonder if part of the issue of, you know, after all of these many years that yoga has been around of not having a, a cohesive, standardized curriculum came from the just the part of yoga that's esoteric, you know, the part sure. of yoga that's like conveyed through the energy body and through like moving the prana and in a way that that keeps like the guru mentality too, right? Like if sure. you're not reveal if you're not revealing to the students the component parts of what creates the magic, then you're the magic holder. Like yes, you're the one that possesses that magical wisdom. Yeah, and actually that that brings me to something that I want to bring up, which is I think that another challenge that we have in terms of learning right now. And also just not even just a challenge we have in learning, but as a community, something that we have to consider is I feel like now that, that the visual medium in social is so powerful, I think a lot of times the perceived guru is the person that looks like they can do the hardest thing. Sure. And I've been sort of saying this for a long period of time, and I'm not saying this because I can't do hard poses. I can do hard poses. So I can speak to it and say, the ability to do a pose and the ability to teach a pose and the ability to teach you how to teach a pose to someone, those are totally separate skills, right? My ability to do something and my ability to teach that thing are totally different things. Mm -hmm. You have to have a you have to have 
a kinesthetic understanding of how to do something in order to teach that thing. There's no doubt about it. But they're totally separate skills. And I see this both, well, I don't even want to say I see it in yoga. I'll, I'll keep yoga off the table. But I see it just in watching sports. The greatest coaches of all times were never the greatest players and vice versa. Because sometimes what you have is sometimes when you have someone that's been doing something from an incredibly young age, or sometimes when you have someone that is so gifted in a thing that they can't actually explain it very well to someone that isn't. Right. You know, so you have a lot of people that just have incredible raw gifts and incredible raw ability, but lack the ability to relate to people that don't and to describe it to people that don't. Yeah. You know, it can be very hard to relate to someone that doesn't have your current aptitude. And so I think a lot of times the seat of the teacher in yoga is is sort of sometimes based on visually who seems to be able to do these great feats. And I think that there are some people out there that can do amazing things and can teach you really, really well how to do those things. And there's also some people that cannot do physically amazing things who are unbelievable educators. But this is something that we have to step back and consider. Yeah, it's like, those who can't do teach. Yeah. My English teacher in high school thought that was the most offensive expression. Yes. And I remember raising my hand and saying, because I was deep, deep, deep into the ballet world at that time. And I knew that I actually wasn't going to be a professional dancer. Right. But I had amassed so much knowledge and I had worked so hard and I had had to work so hard for what I had achieved at that point. I said to him, sometimes if you can't do it, you can teach it better than the person who can do it. And he was kind of like, oh, oh, why, thank you. (laughs) I always thought that was funny. I mean, if you look at U.S. gymnastics. Yeah. Okay. Who have been the major coaches of U.S. gymnastics, right? The Carolis. Yeah. Right? You think they're still doing this stuff? Yeah. You know, or if you look at any professional coach of any discipline, again, they more often than not, they they were high level but they were high level a long time ago because really teaching is a is much more about a human relationship with another than it is just your ability to perform the craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back just a little bit. So to when you we were talking about teaching the arm balances in the four categories. Yeah, four um, categories of arm balances, four categories of inversions. Right. So the other benefit to looking at the poses these way, this way and teaching the poses this way is it just on a really basic level, I mean in addition to obviously making you more efficient at getting into the poses, it teaches you proprioception. I mean it teaches you so much when you start to look at things in po- like poses and categories and you Yeah you know, you start to observe the body that way. And well, what's happening here and what's happening there. And that's the same as, oh, it's like light bulbs kind of go off. And you have, I mean, I just think that proprioception, it's, we don't really talk about it that much (laughs) overtly, but it's such a, it's such an integral part of building awareness in the, in the physical asana practice. Yeah, I think that sometimes we can sort of downplay the physical asana practice. And to me, that's just one way that 
it's part of uh, the gift of the practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think along with this is when we're training proprioception, we're seeing how things fit together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're seeing how the left arm relates to the right arm, relates to the torso, relates to the left leg and the right leg all at the same time. We're not seeing a left arm as separate from the right arm as separate from the left leg and so on. Right. So in our yoga practice, we feel strong because we become aware of our inherent intrinsic connectivity from part to part, right? We feel our whole body working as one cohesive integrated system as opposed to a bunch of separate limbs. And to me, it's the same thing with poses, whether it's arm balances inversions or back bends or forward bends, right? I've classified all the back bends. I've classified all the forward bends. Yeah, I'm not the only one to have done that. But for me, I want to understand how all of the parts of my body work together best and I also find yoga postures challenging enough that I don't want to just work on a pose. I want to be understanding how entire families of postures work together so that I know that I'm seeing the relationship between parts. And also, to me, it's more... It's more systematic. It's more valuable to see, okay, how do all of these backbends fit together as opposed to let me work on each one of these backbends individually. So for people who are teaching and who actually can't quite do the full expression of a pose yeah, yet, yeah. what's your advice for them when they're, they're standing there teaching the class? You phrased that really well. You phrased it in an interesting way. You said full expression. Okay. So here's my thought. I get questions all the time about, you know, one way or another, the bottom line question is, should I be teaching poses that I can't do? And my answer is no, not really, but I'm going to qualify it. And I want to start with an example, which is I can do scorpion. Not very well, <laughs> you know, like I can do it. I can do a handstand. I can bend my knees. I can come into a back bend. I can bring my toes towards my head. I can lift my head towards my toes. I can try to breathe while I'm there. But if I catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror, the distance between my feet and my head is like 35 feet. <laughs> yeah. Like somehow it's longer than the six feet tall I am. Like there's a huge gap. Can I practice scorpion? Yes. Do I practice scorpion? Yes. Do I do the full expression, quote unquote, of the pose? No, not really. Do I have a bunch of students whose scorpion is stronger and deeper and more fully articulated? Yes. So... I teach Scorpion. I mean, I don't teach it all the time, but I teach it in trainings. I teach it in workshops. So I teach poses that I have a strong feel for. I teach poses that I have a relationship to. I teach poses that I both intellectually and, and in my body, I understand. Even if I 
don't want my picture taken in it, even if I can't do, you know, quote unquote, the full expression of the pose, right? We do. Even, ha- we do have a picture in the archives. I know. I know that we do. I hate it's it. It's the black and white photo. It's the worst. It's not bad. I look like a child. Well, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> you basically were. I know. I was. I was 20. Anyways. Okay. So, but I have students who can like part their hair with their feet in that pose. Okay, but I don't teach poses that I don't have any feel for, you know, like I don't have any feel for, oh God, what is it? I don't know, because I, I experiment a lot in my yeah. body. I like the one-armed arm balances. That's, that's sort of coming up once in a while. Like there's more and more people getting pictures of themselves and practicing the one-arm arm balances, largely that come out of acrobatics, mm-hmm. right? I've never even tried one. You know what I mean? Like I've never even tried one. I might be able to do one. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But I've never tried one just because I've never tried one. So I'm not going to teach one because I don't have a feel for it. I don't have an understanding for it. I'm not going to, even if I suspect one of my students is there and can do it, I don't know it in my body. You know, I don't know it in my body. So I'm not going to go there. Another example is for the positive, which is once in a while, I'll teach a leg behind the head pose. My legs don't go behind my head. My right one almost does. My left one doesn't even come close. But I work on that hip opening. I understand the hip joint. I understand that motion. I know what it feels like in my body to work on that pose. So I will teach those poses once in a long while, even though I can't max out in those poses. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that gives people a, a good a good idea. And I want to say one more thing too, which is, Listeners out there, if you don't feel like you have a a desire or a relationship or an understanding to oppose, you don't need to teach it. You know what I mean? Not only should you not teach it, but don't feel bad about not teaching it. It's okay that you don't teach it. If we're really honest with ourselves, if we look at the great body of work that is yoga, even if we just look at the great body of work that is Hatha yoga, we're just teaching a small component of it anyways. Mm, you know, true. the amount of poses that I'm not teaching dwarfs the amount of poses that I am teaching. Mm. The amount of bandhas and mudras and pranayamas and kriyas that I'm not teaching dwarfs the amount that I am teaching. Mm-hmm. So if you out there are thinking to yourself, oh, you know, I just really don't like shoulder stand. I've never related to shoulder stand. I've always been uncomfortable and I don't really understand it, but I should teach it. Let go of the should. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Mm-hmm. Don't teach it. Don't teach it. Teach things that you have a relationship to and allow students that resonate with that content to come to your class and if students want to learn some poses that you're not teaching, fine. Then those students can find another teacher that are teaching those poses. Right. It's yeah. really important. You, as a teacher, you really have to believe in what you're teaching or else this just becomes this vacuous soul sucking thing. And you're just going to beat yourself up and feel like a fraud, mm-hmm. you know, so you really have to believe and, and have some sort of relationship to what you're teaching. Yeah. And if without a doubt. And if you've worked on it on your own, you can even if you can't do the final, 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 you've worked on the component parts to build the pose up for yourself to totally. wherever you are. So you can do that for your students. You know, an, another going back to a little plug for this program that, that I'm releasing, which is 
this program is largely about helping teachers teach arm balances and inversions safely, skillfully, and systematically. But it's also for all of us practitioners and teachers to practice them a little bit more, to understand the nuances, Hmm. to take the time to understand how to sequence for these poses, to prepare for these poses, to understand the, the technique and the anatomy of these poses, and also to understand what are the common mistakes that as students and as teachers, we have to troubleshoot, right? So for me, it is mainly a teacher training, but it's also for us as practitioners and us as teachers to to become more skillful and more nuanced in, in working on these poses within our own practice, within our own discipline. Yeah. And most classes and workshops, even an arm balance workshop, if I teach a two and a half hour arm balance workshop, that's still not that much time to really deeply detail each one of these poses. So this program provides us the time to look at these poses beyond just inspiration and and really get a, a deep education in them. I don't know if it's important how many hours it is, but just like, what's your anticipation of how long people can take to move through the course? I think that one of the great things about online content and I still, the amount of in class teaching I do is still way more than the amount of online teaching I do, right? But I have a fair amount of experience now with building curriculum for in class and building curriculum for online. And I think one of the nice things about online is that you can take it a little bit more slowly so that you don't get as saturated. You don't get as saturated as quickly. So I would say people could go through this program in as few as three weeks and as long as four to five to six months, you know, someone could easily pick one module and say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on this one module this month. I'm going to use this to inspire my teaching for this month. And then the next module, then I'm going to study the next module next month. And I'm going to use it to inspire my practice and my teaching next month. There's a big range of how people can interface with it or the timelines for people. And how many modules are there? There's eight. Okay. There's eight. One last like little technical nitty gritty question about the course. Yeah. Like what level would you say you would have to be to benefit from You have to be level 27. (laughs) So in other words, I can't take the course. 27 plus, Mm. probably. Okay. There are poses in this program that I can't do. Mm -hmm. And there are poses in this program that pretty much anyone on the planet can do. Mm -hmm. There's a huge range. So... You don't have to be any particular level. All you have to be is willing and eager and interested. So, you know, the basic side plank poses are pretty basic. I mean, even if you're just teaching beginners, I think that you can teach beginners basic side plank work. I think that the foundational bakasana stuff that we do, I think you can do any level. I even think that the wall-supported inversions that we do can be done on any level, right? So already that's like seven or eight, maybe 10 different things that I would happily incorporate into working with foundational level students, okay? So long as they were, you know, it was a, it was a healthy population. 
Then there's also poses that we put in there like Kapinjalasana, like Scorpion, that are big, hard poses, Kukutasana, Parshva Kukutasana. They're in there. And, and the reality is, is that most people aren't even going to be teaching these poses, but I wanted to put it in there. I wanted to have, my goal was to create a truly comprehensive program so that we could see a big scope. And what I trusted as a teacher was, so long as as a practitioner or as a student, at least half of this content is relevant to me, then it's all good and it's totally worth it. Yeah. And again, the, the, the last thing about that, which is I want people to see that in, for example, the side plank family, I want people to see the beginning of that family scaled up all the way to the end of that family, right? And because again, if you're learning the side plank family, even if you can't do the hardest pose in the side plank family, you're still learning the whole family at once, even if you're not able to reach the hand back behind your head when you're doing a back bend and just casually hold your foot in Kapinjalasana. Right, right. Yeah. So it's so the scale of relevance, I believe, is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last question. Go for it. Favorite arm balance, favorite inversion, least favorite arm balance, least favorite inversion. You know, I'm a simple man. Yeah, you're not a simpleton. I'm not a simpleton. <laughs> I think favorite inversion at this phase of my life is probably just straight up handstand. You know, straight up handstand. I like forearm balance. I like forearm balance variations. Forearm balance is really easy for me to balance in. It has been for a long period of time. Headstand, I headstand and shoulder stand as an Iyengar student and as a student of Rodney, I practice a ton. And to be honest, headstand and shoulder stand are not comfortable for me for more than a minute or two. So I, I still like those poses. I'll still work with those poses once in a while. But I think handstand is, yeah, handstand is my favorite. Arm balance, I think Parshva Bakasana. It's a good one for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really like Parshva Bakasana. But unsupported shoulder stand is my least hmm. favorite. Oh, okay. And I teach it both ways. You know, in the program, I teach it both ways because I didn't want this program to come down just to my preferences. So I teach it with blankets. I teach it with blankets with a wall. I teach it with, with blankets in the middle of the room. I teach it without blankets in the middle of the room. So there's a big scope. But unsupported shoulder stand is my least hmm. favorite inversion. And least favorite arm balance. Oh, you know I love everything. <laughs> That's right. I forgot how agree you forgot, I how, forgot ag how agreeable you are. I'm just like so Mr. Agreeable. agreeable. Just Mr. Easygoing. Easy. Oh, I'm so easy. Easy going. like Sunday morning. <laughs> so for those listening out there, we have a we have a thing, right? Do we have a thing? Well, we I feel like we're we married or something. We feel that if <laughs> anyone who you know, describes themselves by saying like, I'm, I'm easy. I'm so easygoing. They're the worst. <laughs> not are, the worst. They are not, not the most easygoing. Arm balance. Uh, ba, 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 I'll ba. say my least favorite. Arm I can't balance think of because one. Because I be thought honest. of it, which yeah. is not your least favorite. Yeah. My least favorite is my Urasana. Padma Mayurasana or Mayurasana? 
Well, Padma's not bad, but no matter what, when you have boobs in that pose... Mayurasana's hard. The worst. That just make you feel angry. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to give this one to you. Titibhasana. Oh, yeah. That's, that's and, a tough one for you. And the thing... I think the thing that frustrates me so much about Titibhasana is because... Look, there's, there's arm balances that I struggle with. There's no doubt about it. But... I accept that I struggle with most of them. Like I accept that I struggle with Parshva Kukatasana. I accept that I struggle with Kapinjalasana because these are massive range of motion poses. I get a little frustrated that my Titibhasana is not on point. That is, inc it requires incredible openness in the I legs. I know. Like you see how open I am in my hips and legs and that pose, I have to like be working on it day after day I to know. do that pose i know yeah but i know so that's like an expectations out of it's, whack thing. it's an expectations out of whack thing yeah yep yeah cool. there's a few of those all right yep you want to know my favorite yes okay i'm just gonna tell you so it doesn't matter if you want to know or not my favorite arm balance is ekapadagalavasana yeah love that one yeah it's a good one and I said my least favorite, Mayurasana. Most favorite inversion is probably forearm balance. I just think it's such a cool pose. It just never ceases to amaze me yeah. that someone thought to do that with their body. Yeah. And my least favorite, sadly, right now is handstand because I the just, wrists. because of the wrists. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I will figure that out, but right now it's not the, the highest priority in my life. You just do index on the handstand oh, on the tips of your yeah, index fingers. I can already do that anyway. Yeah. So, psh, yeah. Forget it. I'm training tips of pinky fingers. Awesome. Index fingers is too easy. Awesome. <laughs> I just face stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or levitate. All right, Jason, thanks so much. Anytime. I will add all kinds of great info for all of you in the show notes. And thanks for tuning in for the summer. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you want to learn more about Jason's arm balances and inversions course, you can go check out teachertraining.yogaglow.com slash courses, or you can go to my show notes page at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 58, and I will put a link to it there. Don't forget to post your Yogaland stories. And until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs> <laughs>